one. Hello, Prime Minister Mifohurst. Oh, hello, Deputy Prime Minister Zan <laughs> Rowe. We look like we'd be in the running, actually, given what on earth is going on in our nation's capital at the moment. It's Let's any, give it a go. It's anyone's game. I just want to say, before you get scared and just press, no, stop, I'm out of here, we're not going to talk about no. politics. It's a politics-free zone. Yeah. Um, it's a dickhead-free zone too, <laughs> I think. And um, somehow that ties into politics occasionally as well. So Slip on the Crocs and make yourself comfy. <laughs> we're here to take care of you. Pull up a pew. <laughs> There's been a lot of talk. We will acknowledge it that we have no idea at the time of recording who the Prime Minister of Australia is or will be mm. in the next and, day or so. And that may change. So by the time you're listening to this, <laughs> it could be us. I look. I I went. We went to Canberra last week, Zan, and I acknowledged to you that my secret dream was to actually work in Parliament. You love the carpet there. You love, I the, love the carpet. carpet there. I feel like I belong there. I know you do. I feel like it's it's calling me, and and quite frankly, got this bunch of idiots, this bunch of idiots couldn't organise a piss up in a brewery. So, like, why aren't we doing it? I will say this: if you do, if you are hankering for a dissection from two incredible women who are our colleagues, but do re- work in the realm of politics and uh, mm. know how to talk about this stuff, if you've never listened to Fran Kelly and Patricia Carvelis's podcast, The Party Room. Highly recommend. It often finishes with a show tune as well. Yeah, it's great. From um, Fran Kelly. So that's also, you know, worth the price of admission alone, which is free. It's another great ABC podcast if you haven't got on board. But that ends our discussion of Australian politics. Hashtag Ozpol out. I just want to do a shout out to Patricia Carvelis, PK, mm. over this um, leadership spill that seems to never actually spill over. Um, she has been working. I think she lives here. Twenty four seven. I've seen her here since Sunday morning. Oh, I think she did Insiders and then she did her own show on Sunday night. She's been here for days. I've seen her on television all day today. Shout out to all those political correspondents who are working their asses off at the moment. And um, well done. Well done, them. And PK actually wrote a great tweet uh, in the last day as well saying, I can't believe that this leadership spill is happening in the same week as Book Week because she's got two kids. <laughs> So bloody loved. What a legend. Oh, book week. I love book week. I walked I was walking to the train today and um this little girl and her mum walked past and she was all dressed up for book week and I thought, Oh, I'll just say something because she looks really great and I said, Cool outfit and I got nothing back. <laughs> You're that person that scares the children, aren't you? I think I scared her. <laughs> cool, cool outfit. Nothing. Oh, Auntie Miff. Well, a week oh. is a long time in politics, Smith, but it feels like now a long time ago that we were saying farewell to Aretha Franklin. Got to talk about it, though, because it was just on Friday, saying farewell to the Queen of Soul. Queen of Soul. Um, and what a legend. What an absolute legend. What a voice. Unsurpassed, I think, when it comes to what she did. And the Queen of Soul, because and someone gave us the definition when I was doing a tribute on my radio show about what soul is, and this is what they said, and it makes perfect sense when it comes to Aretha Franklin and her music. Soul is where the Saturday night sinner and the Sunday morning worshipper come into raucous harmony. (laughs) And, you know, when you listen to Aretha Franklin, there's 
there's just that life story brought to the song, even though she she didn't necessarily write her music, but she brought that life experience but and the struggle. But at the same time, it was raucous, absolutely raucous. But then that sense of otherworldliness, that godliness of the church was all those things and she'll just be so sadly missed. I think that also the to- discussions around the power of her voice and that, you know, you don't have to... We've talked about this recently. You don't necessarily have to do it all, like be the songwriter and have a perfect voice and be able to play all the instruments. That sometimes just being able to translate these songs and make them your own mm. with the instrument you have, the greatest instrument of all, the voice, and she had the greatest voice of our time, is, is power enough. And just that ability that she was able to kind of get to the heart of the most vulnerable parts of ourselves and then turn it into a place of strength. There was a lot of discussion as well about the song that everyone was playing and her most well-known song, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, Respect. Mm. Uh, This is the song that everyone turned to to remember her. And as many people heard, it was a song that was written by Otis Redding in 1965. I love when we kind of dive into the backstory of this song that he basically wrote a song about a man insisting on respect when he comes mm. home from work. Like, I'm, I'm the breadwinner, I'm bringing home the bacon, yeah. now show me some respect. And then she completely just flipped Subverted it. Subverted it. In, in, like changed the lyrics and completely changed the intention of it as well. Oh, absolutely. And she added a couple of her own lines, which I think changed it completely. She added the, um, take it, TCB. Sing it. Which, which, I'll never do that again. <laughs> the Cats of Australia are now making their choice to You've done it to twice, off. like two weeks in a row now. I feel like I know. you're emerging. The butterfly is emerging it's from the cocoon. Take care, TCB, taking care of business. She added that. And she also added the, suck it to me, suck it to me, suck it to me, suck it to me, which is super great. And yeah, I don't know. It's just hers now. And I think Otis Redding acknowledged that at the time. He said, she's taken my song and it's the best thing ever. Absolutely. And it really was. Um, I think also that Otis Redding song is quite often misinterpreted too because it, it is seen to be a, a kind of anti-feminist, you know, look after me when I get home woman. But it was also in relation to how black American men were treated outside in the workplace. All right. And the lack of respect that they were often given given America's history. So I think it's often been misinterpreted as a song like that, but I think there's a lot of it to do with when I come home, at least, you know, can I be respected in my home? Um, so, yeah, really interesting, she really turned, interesting song. But she turned it around to a symbol for a time. I mean, think about when it was a hit, 1967. This was before, right on the cusp of the women's liberation movement, mm-hmm. hitting. It was pretty much before, you know, and she is a black American woman standing up for you know, respect for women, for feminism, for civil rights, you know, making this huge, strong statement, which was incredible for anyone at the time. But for, you know, a woman of colour in America to be making that statement was just such a a big ballsy move and and hats off to her. And she was also like, I I heard a great tribute to her the other day where was talking about, you know, everyone talks about the voice and the voice alone is incredible. But she was also an arranger, you know, she'd walk into these studios and tell the band, what to play, how to play it, how the backing vocals are going to roll, change the ways that songs were delivered with her own vocal delivery and do some wild sounds in terms of the way that she was able to hit certain notes and and come in on certain notes. And she had command over all of that. So massive respect to the Queen. Her legacy lives on. She has influenced so many singers, male and female alike. Long live the Queen. Long live Aretha Franklin.
my God, an amazing cover of Coldplay, which features on the soundtrack to Crazy Rich Asians. A film that I'm very excited about seeing. I haven't seen it yet, Miffy, but it's the subject, I guess, the catalyst for a really great think piece that you sent my way from the oh. wonderful Michelle Law this week. So great. And and Crazy Rich Asians is also smashing box office records in America, which is pretty incredible um, given it's only, I think, the second film since the Joy Luck Club that came out 25 yeah. <laughs> years ago that has dealt with the Western Asian experience and that's that's a pretty bad track record if it's taken 25 years and I'm so glad that this is just absolutely killing it in the box office and Michelle Law who has written Single Asian Female which was for the Belvoir Theatre but also toured around and also Homecoming Queens which was on SBS great television show she has written this piece that it's on Junkie, if you want to check it out, why it's important to see Asian Australians on screen in this racist country. And it is scathing and it is angry and it is, it's exactly what we need to hear right now because even though a movie like this is, is up there and is getting all the attention, it really highlights the lack of diversity here in Australia in particular. And it's a, it's a great article, a really great article. She, she discusses the issue with so little cultural diversity on screens here in Australia, but also when it, there is an Asian character, it's quite often a stereotype, yeah. um, which I think we can all acknowledge is pretty much the case. They they ve- Asian people rarely feature in Australian narrative shows. Like, I mean, you think about your home and aways and neighbours and those kind of things that are very much at the, at the backbone of Australian output when it comes to television series and there's just very little representation at all. Completely um, whitewashed. I mean, even the kind of stats that she cited, not only for Australia but worldwide, there was a University of Southern California report um, which looked at about the, the top 100 films each year since 2007 and it was a pretty recent report. So we're talking about modern day filmmaking. 70.7% of all speaking roles came from white characters and the non-white characters uh, were pretty grim. 12.1% were black, 6.2% were Hispanic, 4.8% were Asian characters. And that's tiny. And that doesn't reflect the world. It's nuts. Not at all. And it certainly doesn't reflect well Australia. If you look at what we, what we put out and in terms of what we see on screens, it's not a reflection at all. But she also spoke about this, and it's a really horrible thing to, to hear about, she spoke about the how she learnt to internalise and she says the hatred and disdain that others have for you uh, growing up as an Australian-born Asian and that she started to believe that other people's racism was valid and so everything bad that people say about you must be true. And it's just heartbreaking, you know. She's written, you dream of being white. That immediate self-denial that you are less than, that you don't belong is rife in Asian communities. And... It's a really sad article to read and it really, really blew home to me how much we've, how much more work we have to do in terms of Asian representation on screen because as we've always said, you know, you can be what you see and if you don't see it and if you see it in very limited forms or very cliched forms then that story doesn't apply to you and you don't even know where you fit and then comes the internalised hatred and it's just this ongoing endless cycle and I think it's so incredibly sad and 
I, I, I just hope that things change and I feel like people like Michelle will make change and, and she's quite angry. So I feel, I feel the rumbling coming and I'm excited. Yeah, no, it was a great piece. I know that discussion about representation, which is something we talk about all the time here on Bang On, there was one line in particular that really stuck out to me from Michelle where she said on watching Crazy Rich Asians, I cried because I didn't have to undertake the automatic and unconscious process of having to project myself onto white characters. Mm. And when you've got those kind of stats where less than 5% of characters in the top 100 grossing films are Asian, you're forced to do that. You're forced to put yourself in the position of someone whose experience doesn't reflect yours. It does, uh, you know, I I wanted to say as well that we actually asked Michelle to come in and and join us to be part of the Bang Fan this afternoon, but she's too bloody busy uh, smashing it in a million other things. She's a very busy woman, but we did want to, you know, very conscious of the fact that we're two white women uh, speaking about the experience of of an Asian Australian woman. Uh, And Michelle is a legend and uh, she wishes she could join us, but she's too bloody busy. But we we will put this article in the show notes because I think like, you say, Miffy, it's something that everyone should read this just to get a sense, if not empathy, some sympathy, some understanding, um, mm. some acknowledgement of just that power of representation and what happens when you're on the other side of the pond, when yeah. you're a non-white Australian and you're never seeing yourself on screen. It matters. Yeah. It matters. Oh, as an aside, just check out an article that Kelly uh, Kelly Marie Tran wrote for the New York Times um, it's all about not being marginalised by online harassment. She was harassed to the, an extraordinary de- degree for taking on a character in that new Star Wars, The Last yeah, Jedi I remember film. that. And cop this for some powerful words. She's written, you might know me as Kelly. I am the first woman of colour to have a leading role in, in a Star Wars movie. I am the first Asian woman to appear on the cover of Vanity Fair. My real name is Lone and I am just getting started. Yes. Yes. We are Bang Family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there it is. Maybe there was another little uh, piece that ran through uh, the internets this week and you may have seen it pop up on um, ABC News and the managing director of the ABC, Michelle Guthrie, addressing it quite directly. Um, A fellow broadcaster, Ali, who is a radio broadcaster in Adelaide, uh, was brought to tears on air after some harassment after doing an interview. Basically, you know, all of us who do the radio have a bunch of screens in front of us. If we're not pressing the buttons, pressing play and firing off all the hot stings and promos that you hear. We're looking at a barrage of information, whether it's our producers sending us stuff, if we've got a producer, um, or, uh, you know, a text line, Twitter feed, email, web pages. There's five screens or something, and all of that is what we're looking at when you and I are doing radio every day and, and I guess, communicating with a lot of heart and soul to the whole country. And um, there's a lot of information in front of us, isn't there, Miffy? There is a lot of information and, yeah, I, look, I really felt for Ali when I heard about this because some days you, you might think that you can take that kind of criticism, whether it be outright trolling or just, you know, someone thinking they're being helpful with, a, you know, a politely worded message. It, it can hit you and it depends on how you're feeling on that day and I just really felt for her because I imagine it's just a build-up of that feeling of oh, I'm trying to do my best and no one's hearing me try and and that's that's what i felt and it yeah it's it's a weird it's a weird gig this public gig we sign up for it and it's fine 
Like it is part of the job and we accept that. But then there are days when you just go, oh, please leave me alone. That said though, Miffy, when you say that, because people often come back and they're like, you knew, knew what you were getting into. I've got really thick skin. I faced a triple J text line for 12 years. That's <laughs> a baptism of fire. Yeah. Um, and I take a lot of things with a grain of salt. But just imagine you're at work, wherever you work, and there is, this doesn't happen to me, I'm going to say now, it, it's, you know, there's been moments where I've said something or done something and people have kind of opened the, the floodgates. But, you know, for other broadcasters and for, at points in my life, there've been points where I'm like, like literally performing on, on air, bringing some positive vibes, interviewing someone. And in front of me, I have what is ostensibly someone's, you know, barking at me, you're shit, <laughs> you know, it's like. <laughs> Oh, that old chestnut. What other? What other? Yeah. What other? What other workplace do you get that? Like mm. do, you know, sometimes I used to say, "How about I come to your work site and yeah. just rib you on the way that you just laid the concrete your work?" You know, your work. it's just like it's. And I know that that's a thing of like you got into it. You should know what to expect. But as thick as the skin is, no one deserves that kind of abuse for doing their no. job, unless you're absolutely making an ass of it and you're you know, flipping the bird to your audience and you're just being rude. We're all trying so hard to make those sort of stories. And it's just a, you know, it's a weird thing where behind the screen, the keyboard warriors can really just fight back. Yeah. Maybe we should all just go out to everybody's workplace and watch (laughs) them work and have a go. I'd love that. That'd be a great day. I say positivity breeds positivity. And I've got to say the love that we get from the Bang Fam is just so beautiful. Not not only people coming up to me um, in public settings and screaming Bang Fam at me, please just keep doing that. That makes my life a total joy. I seriously love it. But we get so many great reviews and, and we do read it. This is the thing. Like we literally read and look at everything that you send us. We always do. I wanted to share with you a great, um, one of a few great uh, reviews that have just come up on iTunes where you can review Bang On. We read them all. Thank you to everyone who's written their review and given us a little star rating. And this one comes from Juliana who just posted this on Tuesday. This is a beautiful message. In one particularly dark point in my life, listening to Bang On was the only thing that got me out of bed in the morning. Every week I readily await the weekly release and it definitely makes the trip to work on Friday fly by. I love being part of the Bang Fam and the weekly update of pop culture, media, issues and music keeps me cool. And then she's put the emoji with the sunglasses on. Love you, Zan and Miff. Thank you, Juliana. Love you, Juliana. So good. Thank you to everyone who leaves little reviews. We do really feel as though, you know, everyone is part of the Bang Fam and that just makes, it seriously makes our days, our weeks, our years. Thank you so much, Bang Fam. Thank you. You're the best. Yeah, we love it. We love it. And it's nice, you know, like you don't like it, you don't have to listen. But most, people, but, but most people like it. So oh, thank no, you. If I tie people up and make them listening to my radio show. I don't know how you do it. I force feed that shit. <laughs> Take my show. <laughs> Take it. it. Get it in your... <laughs> what are you banging on about this week? Oh, what am I banging on about? Um... Okay. Oh, uh, serious. I love, I love it when you shuffle your pace. Yeah. yeah I re- you just remind me. It makes me feel like you're kind of at the you're at the um at the seven p.m. news desk, and that's all I we am. have today. I am. <laughs> you're the Peter Hitchener of my heart. Mm-hmm. That will only make sense to people in Victoria, but I know you'll appreciate it. <laughs> I loved it. Um, I'm going to bang on about a book, and it's a really interesting book. I'm just about finished reading it. It's Jill Stark's Happy Never After, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with Jill Stark. You might be Zan because I remember you gave up alcohol for quite some time. And I I read her book while doing it, High so Sobriety. High Sobriety. That's her previous book where she gave up alcohol for 12 months and really asked a lot of questions about uh, Australian 
boozing culture and how much it's so tied up in our workplaces and in our personal lives. So she's already done quite a bit of work in that department when it comes to her emotional well-being with booze. But this book, it's part memoir, part investigative journalism, is really interesting because she now looks at mental health, more specifically anxiety and, and why we are at this point in particularly Western culture, where anxiety is at its highest. And and look, I've been I've been reading quite a bit about this at the moment because, you know, I've probably spoken about it on this show. I've had a few struggles with anxiety myself mm. in the last year or so. And it, it can just, it can happen to anyone. And um, it's pretty terrifying when you realise that you can't do what you do without it affecting you. Um, so... Having struggled with that, it's really interesting to read from her perspective and also talking about ongoing mental health issues and things like being able to access mental health, how, how it's quite difficult if you've got a problem, you know, even though there's great mental health plans where you can get free help, you know, all these ongoing issues aren't just sorted out with one visit to the doctor. It doesn't work like that. Mm. So it's just talking about the broader problem in general and it's really quite fascinating. What's it called again? It is called Happy Never After. There seems to be a real rise in not just people writing books about anxiety, but a lot of, you know, I guess high-functioning journalists or actors. Yeah. Uh, Osha Gunsberg has just written a book about all this stuff as well, just coming mm. out. And I love how the conversation around mental health is just becoming a, a normal everyday conversation, that it's being yeah. shared because everyone well, goes through it. Well, I think that's something else that Jill points to. Sure, raising awareness is good, but we need to do more than raising awareness now. You know how we've done all these raising awareness for mental health campaigns and making it okay to talk about it, but it actually what we need now is actual concrete legislation in plan to help people. Well, lucky we've got a strong government to lead us into the next. Yeah, that is true. Well, it's <laughs> you and me. It's you and me, next? remember? It's you and me. Oh, that's right. What's our party called? Who's PM and who's deputy? Oh, can can I be foreign affairs minister? That means you get to oh, fly all over the world. You bet. You bet. <laughs> <laughs> A foreign affair. Oh, can we? What are we called? What's our party? Bang on. Just bang on. No, we need another name. Um, Surely we've got to come up with a double entendre. Yeah. Yeah, we'll come up with one. Any, any? Uh, can you hashtag this? What should uh, Mip and Zan's political party be? Bang on, bang on for, bang on for Canberra. Um, come up with your ideas for our new party name. Hashtag bang on for Canberra. If we get one or two, I'll promise to read them out next week. <laughs> <laughs> but we won't promise to run for government. Maybe. We'll see. Mm-hmm. And what are you banging on about, Zan? Well, it's actually a, a bit of a respite from the week of insanity in Canberra. I switched on the telly uh, on Tuesday night and watched an incredible episode of Foreign Correspondent, which, as it says on the pack, is pretty much a half-hour episode if you've never seen it every Tuesday a sort of focus from the ABC foreign correspondence. And it was a really special one this week because it was a report done by Sean Dorney, who was a long-time foreign correspondent um, based in Papua New Guinea. And he's literally covered that nation for 40 years. And as one of our closest neighbours and also a place that's had a lot of turmoil, you know, natural disasters, political turmoil, everything that you can imagine, there's a lot of stories that come out of PNG. Sean's story was a little bit, um, I guess there was an added weight to it because he's suffering motor neuron disease and this was what he said could be his last visit back to PNG. And it's a place that he may have covered but also is incredibly important to him. He married the daughter of the local chief. 
He captained the local footy team and he really did make his life in PNG when he wasn't in Australia as well. So it's and a really, it's a really emotional foreign correspondent, yeah. but I think that just watching this, it wasn't just about this personal story, but it was a great reminder just kind of, first of all, just get your head out of the trough of the mess of politics and the day-to-day and the, the buzz. It just felt like this week has just been this swarm of noise. Take a step back and look at what actually matters in terms of family and community and what keeps you grounded and rooted and also what matters beyond our own shores and thinking about that relationship with our closest neighbours and just how important that is. So politically, personally, all of that, it just affected me so much. I, I was bawling watching this. Aww. But it's just, it, you can watch it, it on iView now and it's really fantastic. It's a, The episode is called The Village, but if you just search on iView for Foreign Correspondent. It'll come up. And I'll put it in the show notes as well. But highly recommend it. If you, if you feel like you need some grounding after this crazy week, that is a really good half hour to spend some time with. Well, that's it. We've done our job. Are we off to Canberra? I'll see you next week in the Senate, Miffy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's sort it out. I'm going for the House of Reps. Oh, really? Yeah. Too good for the Senate, are you? No, I love the Senate. You stay longer in the Senate. I'm, <laughs> I'm going for the House of Reps. Someone needs to sort their business out. <laughs> I'm going to be the Speaker of the House. Hear you. Hear you. <laughs> <laughs> now, Miffy, you're going to be away next week. I am. I've got to go to a wedding. All by myself. Yes, off to a wedding. So I'm flying to the overseas. Is it a royal wedding? No, it's not a royal wedding this year. It's oh. been my year of weddings, I hasn't know. it? Um, it should be fabulous, but it's a, it's a quick trip. So I'm gone next week and possibly the week after, depending on when my flights are. So <laughs> you can find someone else. I hear... <laughs> I hear, because I'm on holidays, um, you know who I hear is looking for someone to talk to? Who's that? Mal- Malcolm Turnbull. Oh, my God. He'd be up for it. He's got a leather jacket. Imagine, cute. Just, <laughs> imagine if he just popped in. Malcolm Turnbull banging on. He needs a few mates. Maybe not. On. I'll miss you. I'll miss you too. I'll, I'll post lots of stuff for you to hate like on Instagram. Have fun though. Bring me back a present. I will. Will you? Yeah. Some keep, I'm going to England so it'll be one of those keep Should... something and carry on something. I hate that shit. I hate <laughs> I it know, so that's much. That's exactly why I'll get it for you. <laughs> <laughs> keep calm and carry on, Zan. Mm. Yeah. Double J.